Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, how do we say it, family? We live, we love, we serve. Amen. We're going to get to the scripture in a moment. But um, let us remember the mother of Tyree Nichols this morning. There are some people whose critique of the experience can only be done through the lens of white supremacy, and I get it. If you understand the history of what policing is and its connection to those who were designed to maintain the docility of slaves and those slave patrols to gain runaways, we understand that. That's part of the history that connected to what we call modern-day policing and police forces. So we know that in many ways, the very embedded infrastructure of policing is connected to white supremacy. So many things are, though, in this culture because it's part of the fabric. And that's a good critique because we've seen cases where racism has been the instigator for police brutality. But it was not so in this case. Those police officers who killed Tyree Nichols were four black men. Five, I'm sorry, I'm thinking myself, five black men. And the reason why this is disturbing is because some of the people, and I have to say this, there's something called the principle of being ethically and morally consistent. If you can only show outrage when it's white bodies killing black bodies, something is wrong. You may not want to hear that today. But we don't want to talk about the rampant brutality that is in policing. That spirit, that brutalizing virus that is part of so much of modern day policing knows no color. I have to say that, even though we don't like to hear that. And also, there's another dynamic that doesn't get talked about a lot, not only the, the kind of culture of brutality among modern-day policing, but when people are intoxicated by power. And think that their power gives them the right to dehumanize another human being. And that dehumanization and that disregard for life is throughout 
this country and in our community. We don't, I don't understand how folk can claim to be activists but can't be critical of your community. That somehow, because it's this cancel culture, we think somehow to be critical means that, you know, you shouldn't talk about those things. Listen, let me help you understand. A lot of those folk who are doing that, they don't understand what it means. There are seniors who are in this church who are afraid to come out at night in their own community. There are folk right now in daytime have anxiety walking down 125th Street. So if we don't talk about it and only get riled up at certain things, you ought to be just as outraged if your grandmother don't feel comfortable walking down the street in our own community. You ought to feel just as outraged. And we have to be able to do both, whether it was Malcolm, Martin. You can't only critique one injustice and not talk about the other part. To be a leader in our community meant that you hold white supremacy accountable and also hold your community accountable. Don't you... You don't have to participate in the culture of violence because that's the culture of this country. And it's all around our community. We see it here. And we can't be silent about it. You can't walk around here talking about Jesus, Jesus, and bypass the insanity that exists. And those five police officers who brutalized, killed, I could, I, I could stomach five seconds of that video. I, I, I tell folks, don't watch it. Because to be black in this country is to live with trauma. And that trauma is almost ingrained in who we are. And to think that these were black police officers who had no, they did not see a brother. They did not see someone like themselves. They utterly had to make him something else in order to do what they did. And the truth is they ought to bury them under the jail when it comes time. Because that is tragic. So we have to, it's not just, it's police reform, but there's a culture in this, in, in this country where we normalize acts of violence. And in some places and in some of our communities, we become immune to it. Something is off. It's a cultural shift that needs to take place in this country. And I'm still convinced that as people who take Jesus seriously, who could be part of that transformation. I'm going to talk about that this morning because if we don't heed the call in this moment, all of what we do in our spaces of fellowship and our sanctuaries mean nothing. Mean nothing. With that in mind, we are in this unstoppable series, and I want to turn your attention to a passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it from the New Revised Standard Version and from the Message Bible. Acts, the fifth chapter, beginning in verse 33 through 42, Acts 5. My heart is so heavy, you have no idea. You know, um, I'm grateful that the protests, for the most part, were peaceful. I'm also grateful for the leadership. Don't let it be missed that it was a black woman who's the chief of police in Memphis, Tennessee, who did the right thing. They were not just fired. You got a man who choked Eric Garner to death, still living his best life. They were fired and then charges were filed 
immediately among them second degree murder. So the right thing was done. We applaud them for doing the right thing. We know more information is going to come out. They dismantled that scorpion group that those police officers were a part of who clearly felt that they could move without impunity in their community. And so there's a way that you can police without becoming terrorists. I know, I believe that, and we have to reimagine that and capture that. So Acts 5, beginning at verse 33. I'll read the New Revised Standard Version, then the message, and I'm going to try not to be long today. I want to thank God for my dear friend, many of you know, Reverend Darren Johnson, who's down here this morning. And his lovely wife, Erica, that's my brother and my sister. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But the Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may, be even, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him, and when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, here it is, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. And the Message Bible, here's how it reads. When they heard that, they were furious and wanted to kill them on the spot. But one of the council members stood up, a Pharisee by the name of Gamaliel, the teacher of God's law, who was honored by everyone. He ordered the men taken out of the room for a short time, then said, fellow Israelites, be careful what you do to these men. Not long ago, Theodos came, made some, something of a splash, claiming to be somebody, and got about 400 men to join him. He was killed. His followers dispersed, and nothing came of it. A little later, at the time of the census, Judas, the Galilean, appeared and acquired a following. He also fizzled out, and the people following him were scattered to the four winds. So I'm telling you, hands off these men. Let them alone. If this program or, or this work is merely human, it'll fall apart. But if it is of God, there is nothing you can do about it, and you better not be found fighting against God. That convinced them. They called the apostles back in after giving them a thorough whipping. They wanted them not to speak in Jesus' name and sent them off. The apostles went out, the high council overjoyed because they had been given the honor of being dishonored. Given the honor of being dishonored on account of the name. Every day, every day. 
They were in the temple and homes teaching and preaching Christ Jesus, not letting up for a minute. Amen. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you. We honor you, oh God. In this country right now, oh God, there are heavy hearts. And we lift up right now, oh God, the mother of Tyree Nichols and so many other mothers and fathers who've lost children to police terrorism. God, we ask you, oh God, to continue to bring comfort and peace in these moments. But then, oh God, give comfort and peace to all of us who in these moments, when we view these videos, relive embedded trauma over and over and over again. God, give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. And sometimes, oh God, it gets hard. It gets hard. But now, oh God, let your word go to work. And we'll make sure we get out of the way and let you be God all by yourself. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may take your seats. That verse 42 in the New Revised Standard Version and the Message Bible <clears throat> said that every day they went teaching and talking about Jesus, Jesus without ceasing. They wouldn't stop. Closing out our series this morning on Unstoppable, I want to talk about the Unstoppable Church. The Unstoppable Church. I'm going to tell you, everybody will not be happy this morning. And I will not be long. Listen. There are moments of history that I wish I could have had firsthand experience. There are times in history, events that I look back on, read on, and wonder what it must have felt like at certain historical moments. One of those moments I can't help being a preacher and a believer, imagine the energy and the fervor that must have been around the carpenter from Galilee. He comes in a moment where the people are under heavy oppression by the Roman Empire and are made to feel worthless of little value. And he comes with a word and a message that gives hope. He exemplifies and, and, and categorizes this word by quoting the prophet Isaiah. And you find it in Luke 4, beginning at verse 18, when he announces the ministry, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because that spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim a word, to let the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to liberate the oppressed, and to preach that every year is the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor. That's the message that he declared that that message captured the core values of the Jesus movement, that in that movement, somehow the poor, the oppressed would have good news preached to them. And I've said this in other places, that when the poor have good news preached to them, you have to know it is bad news for the oppressors. 
The poor have the good news preached. Captives are given a word to let them free. The blind will begin to see. The oppressed will be liberated. And every year, every moment is a time of God's favor. That energy galvanized the Jesus movement. That energy was at the heart. Those values guided it. And true to form, those persons in those categories, the oppressed, the poor, those held captive by the cultural insanity of the day, they experienced a freedom in his presence and in his words that not only set them free from seeing themselves through the lenses of the empire and the oppressor, but also helped them to see that they their stance in God's eyes was that of children of God. That was the teaching of Jesus. It's a kind of teaching that got him in trouble in so many ways, because when you begin to speak a word that is unfamiliar and then at a time where people are not believing that God is still speaking, there'll be those who will be upset. This is the word. This is the mission that guided Jesus all the way until his death. And then afterwards, like some of our movements today, when the leader dies, the movement dies. Historically, we've seen that when the leader dies, the movement dies. There's no in-depth expansion of the movement in many ways. The movement gets reimagined in ways that are disconnected from the values of the leader. But in this case, when Jesus died, that motley crew of unlearned men and women from all walks of life who are viewed as outcasts and marginalized and ostracized. Someone said they were the, the low class of the day. Those persons, again, unlearned, unsuccessful sophisticated, that motley crew, they took over the movement after Jesus died. They were fearful. They were scared. They didn't know what to do, but they knew they couldn't necessarily stay still. Jesus post-death had galvanized them again to continue the mission, continue the work. And Peter became the de facto leader of the group. And they continued to move in the name of Jesus and do the things they saw Jesus do. Because when he issued that great commission, he told them, go ye therefore in to the world. Go everywhere and make sure you make disciples. In other words, make folk like you. Yes, you're not perfect. And yes, y'all didn't have it together, but you trusted me. You honored the teaching. So you don't have to be perfect to be used in this manner. You don't have to be flawless to be used in this manner. Can continue the work. Make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's the commission from Jesus. And we who walk in that lineage, those footsteps, we are charged to do the same thing. Make disciples. How do you make them? You baptize. And then Jesus said, teach them which, what I taught you. And there is the problem with the current church because so many of our churches are teaching doctrine about Jesus but not teaching what Jesus taught. They want to make sure that you know the right things about salvation and sin and the second coming and, and how to act and this moral code of conduct, in other words, shaped by men to control other folk. That's what the church has become in so many ways, not teaching what Jesus taught. How can you then be a quote-unquote Christian nationalist spewing racist rhetoric, spewing hate and mean-spiritedness and claim to be part of the Jesus movement? That's not what Jesus taught. How do you use your religion as a weapon to divide people in our country because you think that everybody's supposed to look like like you, act like you, talk like you, and somehow that the movement is a monolith. No, that's not the Jesus movement. The Jesus movement is rooted in love, liberation, and the work that God has called us to do. That's why the church is in trouble, because too many folk 
are using the name of Jesus and using the church for their own political agenda, their own cultural agenda, their own social agenda, and their own personal self-aggrandizing, get-rich-quick scheme, and doing it all in the name of Jesus. No. We have to be able to say that kind of gospel that divides, that destroys people, that makes people who you think are different feel less than, that gospel ain't the gospel of Jesus. He said, I came so that they would have life. How has the church become one of the greatest cultural oppressors in this moment? And doing this in the name of the carpenter? You're not preaching good news to the poor. You're telling the poor they're here because of poor choices. You're not setting those who are oppressed free. You're telling folk, trade the chains of the world for the chains of the church. Oppression's still the same. Because whether we like to admit it or not, the church is in trouble. Mainline churches are dying on the vine. For the first time in American history, less than 50% of Americans claim to have any religious affiliation. Almost 50%, well, some say over 50% of millennials make no claim for religious affiliation. And millennials are now having children. And so now Gen Z will not be in the church. If over 50% of millennials are not in the church and their children are now coming up, they won't be in the church. And as long as our churches hold on to the narrow group of folk who think in a really diminishing way, it will die. In seven to 10 years, a lot of churches will die. There are churches who died in the pandemic, had to shut the doors. They weren't ready for a crisis. There were churches that were fading away even now. And no one likes to hear this, but in some of those spaces, and in some of those places where they're not honoring God, the church is in trouble. Younger generations have written the church off as irrelevant, hypocritical, and obsolete. Organized religion is reeling from a lack of credibility. It is no longer dangerous to be called a Christian. Gone are the days, Reverend Johnson, where the sign of the fish was scratched on the doorpost to mark another secret meeting of the Jesus people. Gone is the common meal, the love feast that was intended to feed the poor. Gone is the radical hospitality that made the people of the way a smelly, chaotic, unruly ship of fools. Now, our identity is shaped by a dangerous, dysfunctional, and destructive form of evangelicalism that is shaped by the new trinity, white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism. Whether we want to admit it or not, this is how the church now is marked. People, again, who use religion to spew racist rhetoric, insecure men who think somehow their duty is to hold women back and persons who are so overwhelmed by capitalism that preachers stand in pulpits looking like poster children for capitalism. We have become so fixated on the right rituals, the right rules, and the right ceremonies that we forget we follow the radical revolutionary teachings of the poor Jewish carpenter.
We become so fixated on antiquated language and doctrinal dis and doctrine disconnected from the teachings of Jesus that we dogmatically profess that we've forgotten that God is still speaking and that everything heard by God cannot always be cross-referenced in Scripture. I need to help somebody today. There are some Christians who say things like, if it ain't in the book, it ain't real. What are you talking about? You mean to tell me you got the audacity to think that everything God wants you to know can only be found in the Bible? When you worship the Bible more than you worship God, it's called bibliolatry. Somebody may be saying, so what are you saying, pastor? We don't need the Bible. I'm not saying that you don't need the Bible. I'm saying put it in its proper perspective. You sitting up here talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, quoting Ezekiel, Malachi, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You are talking. We preach every week about folk who had no Bible. Moses had no Bible. Joshua had no Bible. Abraham had no Bible. All they had was a word from God they heard and a feeling in their heart. And here we are telling folk to stop trusting what they feel and stop trusting what they hear. No. No. We have become so fixated on using religion as a weapon of mass destruction and divisiveness that we've forgotten the life-giving, transcendent, transformative power of love. You got preachers up here talking about they are against abortion. Good, so don't have one then. But don't impose your feelings on other people because your patriarchy is reckless. I don't think members of the LGBTQ plus community are of God. Good. You don't associate with them. But don't try to diminish somebody's humanity in Jesus' name because you don't understand the complexity of God's creativity. Now, we have become mean-spirited, bitter, and intolerant. And the times we are in are just as terrifying. In an age where narcissism is normalized and selfishness is applauded, we are in a moment right now where disingenuous flamboyance is applauded while the beauty of living in one's truth is scoffed at. Hollow relationships are normalized and we are constantly distracted by a dangerous, dysfunctional and overinflated sense of self-importance. Everybody wants to be seen and everybody wants to be known and everybody wants to be a celebrity. Selfishness and greed gnaw at the margins of our culture. Reckless egos are intoxicated by the aroma of their own opulence. Fraudulent personalities seek to cripple the meaning of authenticity. Rabbit insecurities are masked by those who have false bravados and pretentiousness. We celebrate. We celebrate those who are self-engrossed, self-aggrandizing, self-centered, self-intoxicating, and we make those who are narcissists the heroes of our narratives just because they have the capacity to post illusions on social media. This is the moment we're in. And in too many places in our country, the church 
is impotent to respond to the cultural crisis because we are part of the problem. Oh, but those 12 unlearned, uneducated, dirty group of ragtag folk, they understood the power of Jesus. You see, I love this scene because what, pre, what really precedes this scene is that here it is, Peter and John, they go to the temple one day, Reverend Johnson. And, and every day there were people who used to take this man who was crippled from birth and lay him outside the gate of the temple. It's deep. They would never take the man into the temple because somehow his affliction was viewed as sinful. And they were fine every day. The friend people would lay him at the gate hoping that people would give him money as they pass him by going into the temple. One day Peter and John were going into the temple to teach because they were still committed to the Jesus movement. They felt that in Jesus' name they had to teach. They had to teach what Jesus taught. And so as they're making their way into the temple this particular day, the man who had been put there by people begging asked Peter and John for money. I love it in the King James Version, their response. Here it is, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have, we give it unto you. In the name of Jesus, get up. And they lifted that man and he began to get up. And people were amazed by his ability. And this was done. They were given hope to one who was hopeless. And they did it in Jesus' name. The word began to spread and the council of religious leaders got upset. But they were hard pressed to do anything. They hated this growing movement. Because here it is. Next to Peter and John was a man who used to be lame. And I love the verse in the scripture. It says, and seeing the lame man next to them, they could do nothing to them. In other words, the men, Peter and John, had evidence of their power. Where's our evidence? If you're sitting around here talking about you the church of Jesus, and you can't point to evidence where those who are wounded are being made whole, where those who are hungry are being fed, where those who are naked are being clothed, where the strangers are being welcomed. If you don't have no evidence, if the only evidence you got is your doctrine that is shaped and designed to damage wounded people, that ain't evidence. If the only evidence you got is the opulence of your church or the affluence of your congregation, that ain't evidence because you can have a big cathedral with 10,000 people who do what they did in that day, walk past the broken to get your seat in the sanctuary. That is not evidence. And so, and so, when they stood trial and, and questioned by the leaders, Peter and John, the leaders told them, stop doing what you're doing. Stop speaking about Jesus. Stop talking about this movement. Peter and John told him, look, Sam, here's what we know. It's better to obey God than to obey y'all. We won't shift. They let him go. And they kept on preaching, kept on teaching, kept on doing the work because they weren't impressed by the leaders. Too many of our clergy get easily impressed. We forget the power we got. We fight to get the seat next to Pharaoh. We, 
we, we, we, we, we fight to be asked to do an invocation for inaugurations. We, we want to be at the prayer breakfast at the White House. We, 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 my pastor years ago said, you can't be a prophet with this posture right here. He said, what's that? That's your hand out for Pharaoh's crumbs after Pharaoh slapped you in the face and you still asking to, I don't, it's dangerous when the empire provides resources for the Jesus work. They kept on preaching and teaching. The religious leaders of Sanhedrin council sent for them again and you get to Acts 5, 33. They bring them before them again, ready to beat them, ready to destroy them. They had to be careful this time. And one among them, Gamaliel, who was a Pharisee, who actually became Saul, who became Paul. Gamaliel was his teacher. And Gamaliel said, let me tell y'all something. Y'all might be going down a dangerous path. He said, because we know of Theodos when he came that he was a Messiah. He was killed. His followers were dispersed and scattered. You know about Judas, the Galilean, who said that he was the Messiah. He was killed as well, and his people dispersed. But in other words, if this is not of God, it's going to collapse. But if it is of God, you can't stop it. It is what? Unstoppable. And here we are, 2,000 plus years later with a movement they tried to kill 2,000 plus years ago. And it's still unstoppable. But there are stop gaps in the movement when people are disconnected from the tenets of the Jesus movement. If we're going to be an unstoppable church, we have to stay true to those words that Jesus uttered in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because it has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim liberty for the captive set the oppressed free give sight to the blind that this is the year of jubilee matthew 25 that if you want to be righteous that righteousness is connected to your capacity to feed the hungry and give water to those who are thirsty and clothe those who are naked visit those who are sick and in prison welcome strangers in your midst that's the heart of the jesus movement and every teaching of jesus was connected to the idea that love is a radical revolutionary force that we all are sons and daughters of god and that and that ownership of God, and I hate to use that word, but that relationship with God is connected to love. If we're not doing that, if we're not preaching that, we will not be unstoppable. In fact, if we're doing those things not connected to the heart of the Jesus movement, we will be stopped. Whether it is the universe, whether it is the spirit, we will collapse. But if we continue to walk in the ways of Jesus and honor that, church ain't about social networking. It's not about coming to a place you think you need to be connected. It's not about just singing songs and praying prayers. It's about doing the work. But you see too many of our churches, Reverend Johnson, want to make sure you believe right but don't act right. They want to know if you can say the right things. Do you have, do you know the, the sinner's prayer? Do you know the apostle Nicene Creed? Do you have the right words about salvation that we believe is part of our covenant of faith as a Baptist people? None of that matters if you don't know how to love and you don't know how to help and you don't get past yourself. None of that matters if you think that God is here to bless you while you don't want to serve God's people. None of that matters if you think that somehow being connected to God is about social mobility and rising in your status. None None of that matters if you believe those things, but don't have a heart. What does the Lord require? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God.
That is who we're called to be. And if we're going to be unstoppable, we cannot forget that we walk in the way of the poor Galilean carpenter. That's what it means to be unstoppable. And if we are not an unstoppable church, there's already been given an expiration date on this. But if we honor Jesus in those teachings, then we truly will be unstoppable. Because this world now doesn't need Christians who sold out on doctrine. We need disciples committed to Jesus. There's a difference. This is what we're called to do. Here at FCBC, we're not perfect, but we try our best to honor the teachings of Jesus. We don't worry about what you got on or your social status or your background. We don't, we don't do that. Why? Because it's not what Jesus did. We try to stand in solidarity with those who are struggling, those who are suffering. And we make mistakes along the way, but our commitments and our intentions are clear. We are part of the Jesus movement. And part of that movement means that we call out injustice when we see it. We fight against social unrest and injustice when we see it and identify it. But we can do that. In other words, we can be critical of white supremacy and also speak a word of liberation for those who are the victims of it. That's what we do. Our work is not one directional. Focus it with our work is to make sure that people are saved. Oh, yeah. What good is it to have personal salvation but social hell? I can't be concerned with your soul and not your body. I can't be concerned whether or not you're saved and not concerned with whether or not you're hungry. This is the work that we are called to do, beloved, in this season. Join us in this work. It is a work shaped by three simple words. Live, love, serve. Live. That's what Jesus wanted us to do. Live the life you were created to live as a son, daughter, child of God. Don't accept definitions about you that are not designed for you. You are more amazing than you could ever imagine. And guess what? If no one else sees it, as long as you know it. Love. You can't do this work in Jesus' name and not love. Love means that you... You stand against selfishness and greed. Love means you stand against those who engage in dehumanizing practices. Woe unto the church that beats people to hell from a pulpit. Somebody said, you know, pastor, you don't, you don't preach about heaven and hell. You don't talk about all. I said, you're right. Because I don't see that as the work that Jesus did. The problem is, there's too many theologians who ain't never read about Jesus, who think they understand it. 
Those who are socially oppressed found a place in his presence. Those who were maligned by culture and society found a place in his presence. So much so that the religious leaders questioned him about his association because in their mind, if you are of God, why do you hang out with people like that? Just think about those who are socially oppressed in our culture now. And when you can name them, when you think about them, that's where Jesus would be. And so we love beyond the limits of our prejudices. I'm not interested in making you like me. I just want to be able to honor the fullness of who you are. And then we serve. We serve. Those hands you had, put them up in front of you right now. Just put your hands up. Can I tell you something? You weren't given them just for you. Put those hands to work to help some other folk who are struggling. And some of us got the kind of testimonies where we ought to remember where we were. Right? I'm here because some folk put their hands on me. He sought to guide me. You got to wonder wh whose hands touched you? Whose hands lifted you? And I may not be able to repay the hands, but I could use my hands. We live. We love. We serve. If we do that, if we do that and take that seriously, we will be unstoppable. Stand on your feet. We're getting ready to go. A few things. I always got to say this, that we don't necessarily do members here at FCBC. If you're in this building, you family. We're about making disciples. One of the ways that Jesus said is you baptize. And so if you've never been baptized into this movement, baptized into this work, after service, you can come down to my left, your right, right down here. Our all-in team will bring you in. It's not baptized into this church. I'm not invested in that. I think I used to be early on in the ministry, but baptized into this movement. Into this calling. Into this work. That's what we're baptized into. And then lastly, lastly, I know that we're unstoppable. The question is, are we part and can we continue to be a part of an unstoppable church? This church, this specific church is bigger than me. Was here way before I got here and God willing be here after I go. But the work never fades. It never fails. I had a sister I see over there yesterday in coffee conversation was crying on different issues, but she, she said she had never been in a church hearing a pastor talk this way or feel, because I don't care about all the things that we talk about to divide us. But we're here bonded by love. That's why 
when I came, and I end with this, when I came to FCBC 19 years ago, I asked the leadership then, who are your targets? I said, what do you mean? Who are you going after? They said, well, anybody come. I said, not so. I've used this example. I said, if you go next door to that Chinese restaurant and ask for a Whopper, no cheese, they're going to be like, go to Burger King. They're clear about their targets. Now, if you want to eat beef and broccoli and General Cho's chicken and chicken lo mein, you at the right place. They know their target. I said, who is our target? We're not sure. I said, good. Here are our targets. One, the unchurched. Every church says they're trying to reach the unchurched, but most churches don't create the environment for the unchurched. We, we want people who don't know God to come, but don't create an environment for folk who don't know God. Because we assume that we're talking to the choir every week. So I said, the unchurched. And then I said, the second group is like me when I was young. I got to church. My mother tell you, it got to a point. I stopped going to church. I stayed with my grandmother. I couldn't stand church. I mean, I couldn't stand church. My mother tell you, I would make all kinds of excuses. Mom, my shoes don't fit no more. I'm not going. I'm not lying. Mom, my pants too short. I got high waters. I don't want my ankles to get cold. And pretty soon, you just left it alone. I stopped going to church because I was tired of church. I was over church. It was boring. On Sundays in my household, it was nothing. It was shut down. My grandmother was like, no TV, no outside. And if you ain't listening to hymns, we ain't even do gospel. You listen to no hymns, forget about it. And then one day I told my grandmother, I want to go out. Because it's torture when you sit inside the house on a Sunday on a nice day and all your friends outside playing. I used to pray for rain. <laughs> I'm sitting inside looking out the window. My grandmother one day said, why don't you ask your friends if they want to come to church? I was like, fine. I had to be about eight or nine. And I went inside. I said this yesterday, coffee and conversations. I went outside and I asked my friends, y'all want to come to church? I didn't know what they was going to say. And one of my friends said this. He said, well, I don't have church clothes. So you don't have to figure out why Pastor Mike don't get into the church clothes. Because I always remember my friend who told me he couldn't come because he didn't have church clothes. And I wanted to be leading an environment in a church where what you're wearing is your church clothes. All right. So here it is. Before we go, I got to give it to you. The unchurched, those who grew up in church and faded away, got tired of it. And the last group, those who've been damaged by church. Folks who felt like somehow their socioeconomic status did not make them fit for certain churches. Certain churches looked at, down their nose at them because they maybe didn't smell right or dress right or had the right attire. Or folk who were told because of their sexuality and who they were that something was wrong with them and they were going to hell. Those folk, the damaged folk. The women who were told they couldn't lead in church because this is about men and who got tired of coming to places where patriarchy reigned and felt that women could not lead when 75% of our churches are women and many of our churches women can't lead. Damaged folk. So the unchurched, the, faith, the ones who faded away and those who've been wounded. And I said, we ain't going to hand out no pamphlets. We ain't going to give out no brochure. You know what we're going to do? Create the environment and make sure that the meal we serve is good. You know why? Because when you go to a restaurant and get a good meal, you tell folk about it. And many of you are here today because somebody told you about it. That work we are called to.
does not stop, then we can't stop. I want you to think about who you are today, not just as a person connected to FCBC, as a believer, a disciple. And think about ways you live. Think about the ways you love and think about the ways you serve. We will always provide those opportunities to do all three here. Because I want to make sure that we are an unstoppable church. Amen. Listen, for those who join us today who are here for the first time, God bless you. We pray you come back. Those who are watching us for the first time, we pray you come back. But most of all, beloved, as you leave here today, remember who you are. You are the beloved of God. God's spirit rests on you. And in you, God finds favor. Now unto God who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless in God's presence. May that same God continue to remind us that we are an unstoppable church from now until we meet again on the other side where the sun neither rises nor sets because the sun is Jesus the carpenter the light the hope of the world from now until we meet may God's power keep you sustain you and guide you in your name we pray oh God amen amen have an amazing day. God bless. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward.